grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. A church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus said in John 10.10. And there's a phrase used in marketing quite often that this product will change your life. But because it's used and abused so much, it loses its punch and may be received with skepticism. So what does this phrase mean in relation to the Christian faith? Is the claim of life change true? And if so, how do I get it? Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. And if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. The series is called The Spirit-Filled Life. It's part one in the message, A New Life, as Pastor Sean is teaching from the book of Galatians. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Last week we talked about the greatest failure in the church is the failure to seek and surrender to the infilling of the Spirit. That's what this is all about. But I want to be careful we don't get caught up in false advertising. Have, have you ever been caught up in something and bought into something and realized you were a victim of false advertising? Like the Shell stations around town. You ever notice their gas prices are not their gas prices? Ah, psych. They should have that on their pump. Ah, fooled you. You can have that price if you buy our car wash. Then you can have that price. Otherwise, it's this much higher price here for you. Now, the first time they caught me in on that, I was so excited. Look at that gas price. Woohoo! You know, I pulled in. And you need to know, I, I got back in my car and I drove and I drove down the street. It's a matter of principle. It's, sometimes it's bigger than that. You know, you maybe have stories of bigger. Lori and I had a story like that. We were invited to check out this travel club. And at the time, it was early in our ministry. And, you know, we were, the church wasn't paying us really much of a salary at all, couldn't we? just had started it. And so I was traveling, doing ministry, doing music, doing speaking to help pay our bills. So we traveled a fair amount. And any way we could save on those costs. And we were told, oh, yeah, you can save on this cost. So we went to this presentation at a hotel. Should have been a clue. So, you know, our salesman came over and told us all about all the travel savings and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so we went ahead and paid the price, thought, oh, well, we'll save that alone just in the, in the ministry travel that we have to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Turns out, you know, I went to call, try to buy a place. Oh, no, you can't do that. You can only buy our little packages, which the little vacation packages, which if you had gone to different websites, you'd get the same thing. I think in my, my mind was total ripoff. I was just like, are you kidding me? And, you know, when there's false advertising, you get mad. You get angry, right? You know? I mean, not you. You guys are really good Christian people. I, but I was like, I can't believe you. <laughs> so I went back to the hotel to find my salesman. And, oh, wait, he wasn't there. He'd moved on to the next town. Yeah, false advertising is not fun, right? The question that I have is I wonder if people ever feel any sense of false advertising by what they see in Christ followers. Because there's people who've been exposed to the claims of the gospel. They've heard about Jesus. They even have some exposure to Jesus. And so Christ followers are people who follow Jesus. I wonder if there's ever an expectation. And then they look at Christ followers here in America and they feel false advertising. They feel duped. And beyond that, and now I'm going to get really honest, as opposed to our typical policy of partial honesty. <laughs> I don't know why I say that. Now I'm going to get really honest. as opposed, I've been lying to you before, but now... But you'll know what I mean. Um, I wonder how many times we as followers of Jesus feel like, wow, the claims that I read in the brochure, the life I saw that was presented here, and what I'm experiencing are different. Do we ever sometimes feel like maybe we bought into something, or maybe we were duped, or something's wrong? 
It's in what I read about. Because here's the thing, the gospel makes some powerful claims about this life, this experience that we're supposed to have. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, and why don't you turn your Bibles there, we're going to be in Romans 6, 7, 8 for a little while. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Paul has been talking about grace, right? He's talking to a group of people who understood salvation by the law, the law of God, you know, Moses, the law, and by birthright. We're the Jews, which Paul was, so he understood it. It's our birthright. We're the people of God. That's who we are. We're saved by birthright, and we're saved by the law. And Paul then in Romans the first few chapters is telling them about grace and faith. And so he then in chapter six picks up to their obvious question that they would be answering. I mean, they would be asking, they'd be asking this question. And so he goes ahead and asks it for them. Verse chapter six, beginning at verse one, he says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, because of this grace and faith, do we just continue in sin? And he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life or in a new life. Brand new. Something different. I want to suggest one of the greatest hindrances to the church today is unchanged Christians, people who believe they're supposed to be living a new life, but yet find themselves living just kind of a different version of their old life. Now, in Romans 7, flip over there, Paul talks about this. He gets real candid about his own experience. He points out in the very first few verses, he's he's using the illustration, he says, we're no longer bound to the law, Moses' law, okay, because of Christ Jesus. Christ is fulfilling that law. So we're no longer bound. Christ fulfilled the law. And he gives the example of a woman who's no longer bound by law to a deceased husband. A woman who had lost her husband would be in great danger if she couldn't remarry because she wouldn't have had the economic means to support herself in that particular cultural time frame. And so he's saying, well, if her husband's deceased, she's of course no longer bound by the law to him. She's free to remarry. And then he goes and says, okay, so in the same way, or verse four, he says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. In verse five, he says, and listen to this, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Our sinful passions aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Talking about the law of Moses. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then, that the law is sin? By no means. Listen, he gives us an explanation here. He says, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. Make note of that idea. If it wouldn't have been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. What's he talking about here? He used that illustration of covetousness. Well, for example, anybody who's ever had two dogs, right, and one bone? All right, you know that story, okay? Uh, 
We don't look at the dog who doesn't have a bone and we don't go, look at that sinful, covetous thing. I can't even believe I have you as a dog. You're a coveter. You need to repent. No, because the dog's just doing what's natural by its instinct. It just wants a bone. It, it's, it's natural for the dog. And we don't look at the dog and go, oh my gosh, you're a sinner, because the dog is doing what it was created to do, what is natural, what it's instinctive for it to do. Okay? But we understand intuitively, and here's what's interesting. We know we're told in the law, specifically in the Ten Commandments, we shall not covet something of our neighbors. We shall not, that's this desire to want it, to have it. Want it to have it. And you know what's funny? If you've never read the law, if you've never read Moses' law, there's something in you that would go, okay, if I'm looking at my neighbor's car, my neighbor's, you know, whatever, to the point that I want it to go get it and have it from him or from her, we would know intuitively, we know, yeah, we shouldn't do that. That doesn't mean we don't do it. That doesn't mean that it's not still there in our hearts. But there's something in us that says, yeah, we, we can't live that way. I can't covet and then go steal what is my neighbor's. Those are things I shouldn't do. Well, a dog doesn't. That other dog puts the bone down for a second, game on. You know, my neighbor doesn't have to worry if he leaves his house because I'm looking. Uh, that garden hose is looking good. Look at that thing. I mean, look at that. That's one of those big, thick rubber ones. I got the cheapy. That's a good one. Yeah, you know, my neighbor doesn't have to worry about that because there's something in us that intuitively says, and that's God's law written on our heart. And we call it conscience, call it whatever it is. There's something in us that understands. What, what's interesting, but he says, sin, verse 8, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covenant. Do you know what he's saying there? He's saying the core of sin is fundamentally rebellion. That there's, there's the sin of covetousness. But then there's the idea that the minute I know it's wrong to covet, there's another sin in me. It's the core of sin, the rebellion. That pushes against that and goes, wait, I don't have to abide by that. There's no one to tell me. It's the core of the sin nature. The core of the sin nature is that rebellion. It's kind of forget the law. I can do what I want. So the law kind of stands there as this standard. And what it does is it, that's why he says that sinful passion is aroused by the law. There's, there's the law that says, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. And then there's that part of me, that rebellion, the true core of sin that says, you don't tell me. I'm a law unto myself, which is the core of the sin nature. So that the law, the command, actually becomes something of a catalyst. It raises up that rebellion in me, the very fact that there is a law. And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called A New Life in the series The Spirit-Filled Life as found on the sermons page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others just like you. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. 
We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Rotama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life. And now back to the message, A New Life. This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Well, Paul now gets very transparent and pick it up at verse 18 in, in chapter 7. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. What sort of schizophrenic thing is Paul kind of bringing out here? Just, man, dude, take responsibility, jeez. He explains, verse 21, he says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. And listen to what he does. This is very interesting. He says, For I delight in the law of God. So let's put it up here. The law of God, right here. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. And what he's saying is, there's something in me that goes, yeah, we can't have a world where we're all coveting. We're all, there's something in me that says, yeah, I agree. I, I, I want that to, you know, I, I kind of want that. I want to aspire to that. I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, my flesh, my carnal nature, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. So there's two laws. There's the law of God, the law of Moses, the law that God has established, his authority. And then there's the law of sin, making me captive the law of sin that dwells in my members, in my flesh. And he says, wretched man that I am, this frustration, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So there's a part of me that wants the law of God, wants things right, but there's another part of me that just can't. Verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I see myself serving the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. These two laws, there's the law of God that he established. And he's really put in our hearts. But there's also the law of the flesh and sin that says, me first. I do what I want. But then in chapter 8, he says, even though the remnants of the old nature are still in us, he gives us something else. Look, chapter 8. He picks up, he says, there is, this is right after this. So he tells these two laws, law of God, law of sin. He says, there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, wait a minute, what's that? That's a third law. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So there's the law of God, there's the law of sin and death, but he says there's a third law. And that's the secret. I don't have to sit and live in this tug of war. Oh, it's just, I'm always going to have this sinful nature and it's just, you know, my very best effort to do whatever. No, he's saying, no, no, no. There's another law. It's the law of the spirit. That's what you need to tap into. We understand something about law, right? There is a law. When I let go of this bottle of water, there is a law at work in it, okay? What law was that? You guys should be in a physics class. My gosh, you guys are good. Don't tell me we don't have the smartest congregation in town. Yeah, That was the law of gravity, right? We understand that. And it's working on every one of us. We can try to defy it. You know, I can, look, I just defied it. Look, no, I didn't. Okay, I suspended it for a moment and then, no, it's still still won. But yet, you know, when the Wright brothers first kind of carried out their crazy idea, they did something very different. 
Now, the first thing you notice when you watch that video is obviously how well-dressed those workmen were while working. I'm like, my gosh, how'd they, those are classy guys out there working, right? We work at a church here, and I can't get anybody dressed like that. Again, we can't even relate to what they saw because we get in a plane all the time. And we go out-of-town travel. Some of y'all, probably for business regularly or for work, you're regularly on a plane. We just take it for granted. But they wouldn't have. They would have seen that. And the law of gravity was being defied before their eyes. How was it possible? Well, what the Wright brothers did is they knew there was another law. Other people, it was theory. They knew there was another law. It's Newton's first law, right? Sometimes called the law of inertia. It says that objects which are at rest will remain at rest. Or objects which are moving in motion will remain in motion unless acted upon by a greater force. And they understood that in the context of if we could create some force, thrust, drag, and lift, we could literally use the wind to defy the law of gravity. We could bring another law to play. They didn't try to just jump up and down to defy the law of gravity. They used another law. We could, I guess, call it the law of the wind. And that's what Paul's wanting us to understand. There's another law. You can try all you want to defy the law of sin and death in your own strength, but it's never going to happen. You can't until you understand, wait a minute, there's another law, the law of the Spirit. He talks about that in Galatians 5. If you have your Bibles, flip over there. I want you to see it again. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16, Paul's going to talk about the Spirit. He's writing to a different church, but this is really kind of a, he picks up and explains some of what he was saying in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, in Romans 7 there. Galatians 5, 16, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Remember, he said, who's going to save me from this flesh, this body of death? Saying, I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's what he was talking about. You know, there's the spirit of God and there's the flesh. And he says they are at war. Understand that. That is a constant condition. They are at war. What's good for one is bad for the other and vice versa. We need to understand that. He goes on verse 18. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And then he says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Think about these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. I warned you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These works of the flesh, you know, you may be like I am. It's almost like you're afraid to turn on the news at night or go to a website and read the news. What new horrible travesty is going to happen today? What is going wrong with people? It's like we're all out of our minds. And Paul says, no, this is the flesh. You know, we've, we've talked about, the, the, you see the devastation that sexual ethics are, are doing to our culture. And people who are experiencing horrible results, they're experiencing horrible consequences. You go, why are they so, why are they so addicted to sexual freedom as the ultimate virtue? Why can't they understand the simple concept that God created sexuality to be a gift? in the context of a committed marriage. That's the way God designed it, and it's supposed to be a gift. Because the works of the flesh are, verse 1, he says, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It's the flesh. 
What's with all the violence and the rage and the anger and the hatred, the killing? He says, well, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, envy. These, it's the works of the flesh. That's why this happens. It's the very core of the carnal human nature unleashed. That's why. And then he goes on and says, I warned you, those, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this. Verse 22, this is the amazing good news. He says, but, but the fruit of the Spirit. Listen to these. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such there is no law. I want you to think, and I want you to imagine right now with me as I'm going to read those words again. I want you to imagine these things being poured out over our nation and our world. Imagine, it's as though God wants to pour these out. Think of the news, think of the stories, think of the strife, the pain, the hatred, and imagine this being poured out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And no law against those. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. I want to say to you this morning, that's the secret to the new life. That's the answer to Paul's question. That's the answer to this false advertising that we may have seen or even feel. That's the secret right there. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I want you to remember it. It's this. New life is found in the fruit he exhibits, not the effort you exert. I say that again. New life is found in the fruit he exhibits, not in the effort you exert. This is so important. You see, in a culture where we've been raised to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, to kind of make it work on our own, this is hard to swallow. Because this is a little bit of a ding to our pride when you think about it. There's something in us that resists this idea that we can't do it in our own strength. But it's interesting, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't say the fruit of the person that the Spirit has kind of helped cultivate. It's not, you know, the fruit of you, the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, he's the one who produces the fruit. And he's the only one who can. I want to suggest that this is the secret to holiness. And, you know, anytime a pastor starts talking about holiness, people get kind of weird, right? If they're talking about holiness, you expect me to kind of go get, buy a bad suit, get really loud and southern real fast, right? And talk to you about holiness, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I spent a lot of years in church, you know? That comes naturally. Um, let me just say, holiness is a beautiful thing. It, the, the problem with kind of the teaching on holiness, and I grew up in Pentecostal churches, as I've shared with you before, but it's not just Pentecostal. There's lots of different holiness type of churches where you saw holiness become defined by external things. And I want to suggest to you that that wasn't malicious, that was literally a desire to be different, a healthy desire to be different. But our natural inclination is always going to be to be different ways that we can control and define. This whole thing of the Spirit having to do it is a little bit fuzzy. It's a little 
hard. So if I can do it by dress, by do's and don'ts, by whatever, then I can keep score. I can keep a holiness score. And sometimes that was just pride and wanting to put other people down and be better, whatever, whatever. But sometimes it was just truly, I want to work really hard to be holy. Because I think I should be. The Bible says I should be. It misses the whole point of holiness. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message called The New Life, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. And we hope you join us again next time for more Real Life. River City Community Church is a church for real life. Real life is what we were created for and what we're all about. In fact, our mission is more people living real life by passionately following Jesus. Hi, I'm Pastor Sean Azaro, and we believe we were made to have a life full of meaning and purpose that can only be found in relationship with our Creator. That's what real life is. It's not just a church thing. It's a way of living that powerfully impacts every area of our lives. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Matama Park. Our service times are Sundays at 9.30 and 11.15 and Mondays at 7 p.m. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life.